Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is StarTalk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. I got with me Chuck Nice, as usual, my co-host. Chuck, how you doing, man? Hey, Neil, what's happening? All right, we got a, we got a tasty episode today. Oh, my gosh. Right. It's okay. data from space All right. coming down to Earth, going in okay. back to space. Okay. How does Neil, it happen? I'm, Who's I'm, doing I'm, it? Why are I'm we sorry. doing it? What? I'm sorry to say, that's every episode we do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that is true. We're bringing the universe down to Earth. Yes, that That's is it. what we do. But That's what we what want to say, uh, we get a lot of inquiries about CubeSats and nanosatellites and all yes. of these things. Yes. And we figured it's time to go to the source, or at least one of the more important sources of the world, of who's been obtaining data and how they do it. And let's just get right to it. We're, okay. we're going we're gonna to talk to... One of the vice presidents of Raytheon Technology, Sandra Sweet. Brown. Totally. Sandra Brown, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you. It's so nice to be here, Neil and Chuck. Excellent, excellent. So you're vice president of what for Raytheon? Right. I am vice president of a mission area called Digital Emission Solutions, which is a part of our larger space and command and control business. Uh, so essentially, we develop space-based sensors, ground systems, precision navigation and timing, uh, processing data sense making, multi-domain, tactical, you know, and strategic command and control. We also do a little environmental and climate sensors, earth observation, missile warning, and defense structures. Wow. Okay, so nothing gets by you, basically. Nothing, nothing gets you know what? by us. <laughs> We've got it all locked down. <laughs> Here's what I just heard, is that space is a business right now. That's what I just heard. Space is a big business. Well, it is true. When people typically think of space, they think of NASA. Yeah. But if you look at NASA's budget, which is right. small as a fraction of our GDP compared with the Apollo era, it, Pennies. it's small. Right. And so a whole lot of stuff is happening in space. Right. And when we refer to space in this context, Sandy, aren't, 
is it almost entirely either low Earth orbit or just between here and the moon? Is that correct? Um, between here and the moon, right. So what kind of projects are you working on now? Uh, well, specifically in my area, we have a lot of extremely cool stuff, and that's a technical term. Uh, we're building the next generation of ground systems. Uh, we're supporting the critical weather and Earth observation instruments. And, and of course, excellent. laying the foundation for commanding and controlling satellites. Hey, can you tell me what ground systems are? I'm not, I, I, you said that, but I don't know what that is. Sure, so absolutely. systems on the ground, duh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, Chuck, there are systems in the air, and there are systems above the air. We call that space. Right. And then you got the stuff on the ground, okay? That's <laughs> ground systems, all right. 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 So when, when you're talking about satellite command and control, you're really talking about four things. You're talking about an operation center. You're talking about a ground station. Um, you're talking about the ground network and you're talking about the satellite. And that's how you know, ground station allow you, allows you to actually communicate with that satellite via the operation center. Okay, okay so these, cool. these, are, these are radio microwave dishes or something, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what, correct. They're, they're basically telescopes. They're right? base, like basically track. telescopes. And, and and what role did you uh, play with JWST? Because that's been in all the news, right? And right, delightfully yeah. so. I mean, I love it when our stuff, when my people, right. you know, make headlines. You know, it's like, right. it's my people out there. <laughs> I feel yeah. good. It, it means that there's a genuine curiosity in the public. And right, right. To, to what extent have you helped to serve that? Well, have you seen the images released from Jupiter? I mean, I don't need to be a world-renowned astrophysicist to understand how incredible capturing those images are to science. Uh, it's so exciting for me to see every new image created and captured by James Webb. For our part, Raytheon Intelligence in Space installed the Webb's ground control system at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. Uh, so the ground, wow. yeah. So the ground system primarily responsible for maintaining the health and safety of the observatory uh, and supports the command and control of the telescope. Um, so essentially, our software receives the observation data and transfers information to the system that is accessible to astronomers and other scientists. So at, at the risk oh. of stating the obvious, Sandy, um, in principle, NASA could have done all of this from scratch. Right. But when they look at the landscape mm -hmm. of space technologies that are out there, right. they say, well, we want to talk to our telescope. Who does it best? And then they, right. they shop around, and that's there's right. Raytheon. That, and so yes, then you then install your ops, and you probably your right. people are there too, right? Absolutely. To out. Right. right. And we, However, yeah. I, will, I will say that from a business model, it doesn't make sense just to do this for NASA. So the other applications have to be there. And what would those be? So you're looking at well, these, you know. The building blocks. I mean, we have the people that have been doing, you know, the programming, systems engineering, the integration for a very long time. So we use those building blocks specific to um, support our customers' requirements. So we're not ever having to start from scratch. Um, specific to the James Webb, our software, you know, we, we reused where we could. Uh, but that software um, is used to rebuild the images that we, the, that we receive from the James Webb. We program the coding languages necessary to take those ones and zeros and make them images for our human eyes to see. Um, so we're reusing a lot of the, you know, the optical um, technologies that we've already developed, a lot of, you know, reuse from other programs, and we just really customize it to fit the need of the James Webb. And, and wow. uh, again, at the risk of stating the obvious, but it's, uh, I mean, it's a historical thing. Absolutely. I've written at, at, at length about this, but I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Isn't it true 
that I mean, a big part of Raytheon's portfolio is defense systems. Absolutely. But you, you also have scientists and the engineering that supports science uh, leading another kind of communications or data frontier, and they each feed each other in a kind of a two-way street. Isn't that correct? That's absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. Mm. So I heard you say a lot about code, 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 code. Code, code, code. Uh, code, 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 code. So that with all of what you do, which a lot of it, irrespective of if it's defense or not, right. is sensitive. What, what are you guys are? Are you also working in like hardening cybersecurity? Sure, because right. I would think that would be very important. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's extremely think, important, yeah, okay. right? And it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, absolutely. I tend, I tend to I tend to like understatement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, Chuck. No, it's extremely important. It's built into every product that we build. It's a part, just a part of our design process. It's not something that we add on as an extra layer. We really you know, start our, every development project starts with cyber in mind. So we can deliver that solution to our customers to ensure that uh, they have uninterrupted services, um, you know, and, and we can deter when we need to deter. Wow. Okay, okay. Uh, but can you protect yourself against an asteroid? I bet you yeah. can't. I bet yeah, you can't. That, I look to you <laughs> to help me to do yeah. that. Hey, what, I what, to the what's, your code, what's your code for that, Sandy? <laughs> 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 I call Neil. Hey, Neil, tell me the prediction. When are we going to get hit? You, uh, I got it. So you you want me to prevent the, the, the asteroid from even entering? Absolutely. The, I want to provide you the data from space so you can interpret it and provide us the answers of when that thing's going to hit and where. Uh, oh, or deflect yeah. it so that it never hits. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. so I got a question. Okay, in LEO, low Earth orbit, the satellites, you can watch them move across the sky. So if, I, if I'm using them for like internet or something that I would want or expect to be stable, right. what happens when that is has gone past my horizon? There must be some system of handoffs from one satellite to another, and you must have a bajillion of them so that I always have a few over my head. Is that correct? Absolutely. Or do you just get a do you just get a, a message on your screen that says, "Hey, You're see you tomorrow at three. That's <laughs> right. Tune, tune no, in. See you tomorrow at three. You have, you, you, have, <laughs> you have a great number to get the consistency of service. Absolutely. Okay, and a great number. Okay. Can you quantify that? Is it like hundreds? Uh, is it thousands? thousands. Thousands, thousands of these small sats performing, you know, different capabilities and and sharing data in order to make sure that you have that coverage. Plus, you all well. took another one of my words. Now you're taking the word constellation because you call these satellites <laughs> constellations. It's right. like, no, I'm not giving you that word. You took it away and I... It's, it, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> too late. Too late. You can't get it back. I can't get I that one back. So, so let me ask you this: Do, do they make interesting shapes? Are they <laughs> Greek mythology? No, they're just right. a train of satellites moving. In the <laughs> However, Sandy, in yes. your defense, in your defense, Raytheon anyone, doesn't need anyone in their defense. Okay, they are well, their own defense system. Yeah, but that's kind of cool. Chuck Nice defends Raytheon. <laughs> okay, go, go, Chuck. What? <laughs> He's the defense system for Raytheon. Oh, my okay. God. Anyway, no. So, when you look at a constellation, no one sees the pictures that are drawn anyway. Right. So, that's true. Except, that's true. except astrophysicists. It's They're okay. the only ones right. no, no, no. that can look right. right. I don't, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see a crab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we have a whole business that does nothing but watch these satellites into... The orbits as well. All right. Okay. So, so now, are you worried about how crowded it's getting? What is the oh, future ecology 
what is the future ecology of space launches? Yeah, I mean, that's a topic that we often discuss with our customers. There's, you know, with a proliferation of space, uh, the space debris, the space junk. We have to be very, you know, uh, cognizant of what that could mean if we have collisions in space for especially our, you know, our higher um, capability satellites. We have sensors on those satellites to make sure that we can steer clear of one another. Um, that's important. Right. And we, you know, rate, at Raytheon, we do develop those sensors to make sure that um, we have the situational awareness of where they are. Uh, Wait, just, in a, space. just a point. You're in orbit moving five miles per second. What do you mean steer clear? You can actually navigate these things while they're in orbit? Do. We absolutely oh my can. Gosh. Now that. Oh see. my gosh. So if you can navigate, that means they each have a reserve of fuel that presumably would eventually run out. It does. Correct. They do, right? And then we are not able to move them at it anymore. Uh, but we're looking okay. at technologies, you know, like solar or um, actually the ability to refuel satellites as well. They are on board with a very limited amount of fuel, absolutely. So when will there be enough satellites in orbit? Uh, you know, um, our customers say N plus one. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. That continues okay. to infinity, by the way, for yeah, those who want to know how that works mathematically. Whatever the right, N right. is, give me one more. All the, right. Yep. There's constant evolution of technology. And, you know, we have to do, uh, you know, just as you do on the ground, we do modernization. Mm. Um, we do replacement activities. So, um, you know, we want to make sure that we keep up with current threats so we can, again, deter and defend. So what do you do about collecting your um, outdated materials yeah, yeah, that's up right. there? Because I, I don't use a computer from three years ago, right? Because right. it doesn't have right. the, the capabilities I want. Yet you surely have right. satellites that are three years old. So uh, how, do you do, how do you deal with, with the obsolescence given the fast-moving frontier of right, electronics? Right now, we don't have a cleanup crew for space. So um, they either you know, burn in, burn into the atmosphere... Um, or they stay up there, and again, you know, that's what we refer to as space junk. Right. So Leo, you can burn up eventually, but Middle right. Middle Earth, Middle the, Earth, the, the dragon keeps them, <laughs> correct? Right. Right. The dragon keeps them. Middle for Earth now. orbit. Okay. So, uh, what is the split? Would you say? Uh, I don't need to get all into your 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 ledgers, but what is what yep. is your split between the private use of space? And the government use of space, because presumably, obviously, you serve both communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are predominantly government. We are predominantly, you know, defense. Okay. So, that's- but what, you know, one influences the other, obviously. So we <sighs> we utilize and we leverage commercial technologies to serve our defense customers. Oh, so what about space war? Because you're looking at all this information now that is just sitting above us in low Earth orbit. What is to say, like, okay, I'm somebody else. I'm like, I'll just capture a few of your uh, satellites, your little CubeSats, and I'll get all that proprietary information for myself. Well, it's kind of what Space Force is for also, I would think, right? Absolutely. Protecting assets, either, you know, government assets or business assets. But what else would you want your military to do? Well, and that's why we build in, right, and that's why we build in cybersecurity measures from the beginning of every design. So, Sandy, what is your, what is your sort of academic profile that landed you where you are today? You know, I have a business degree with a minor in information systems, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, as a 10-year-old girl, I had my Commodore 64 computer um, with my black and white television set, you know, keying in the hello world, uh, program when I was, you know, again, when I was really young. And so that technology kind of um, 
my interest in technology, you know, has grown throughout the years. But that was your technology baptism, right? Right. That was my baptism. Right, Right. exactly. Waiting every month for that, you know, coding magazine to come so I could translate the the magazine set into my little Commodore 64. Uh Um, And I just followed the evolution, you know, you know, technology in space. And let me remind people that the 64 in Commodore 64 is 64K. Bit, yep, right. Right. K. Wow. 64K. And that was like, yep. yeah, I'm badass. And that's all I wanted for Christmas. Uh, you know, so that wow. that eventually led me on my career path. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, man. And, you know, yeah. lately I've been hearing the word systems referred to. Uh, and I think uh, because so many different bits and pieces have to cooperate and technology is a whole new kind of engineer that I think, uh, at least when I was a kid, there wasn't much discussion yeah. about. But now it's everywhere. Just comment on right. systems engineering and what that means for right. in your job and just for the for the role of the company. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, it's a broader field. I mean, you have to understand how the the different parts and pieces fit together uh, to form the whole. You you know, it's desirable to have a background in. Some you know coding, so you understand how the program uh, and and hits the bus, and how that is all you know put together again to develop a product. And it's not just you know you can't be stovepipe in your disciplines anymore. You really have to have that broader view of mm. hardware, software, and again the systems to build the system of systems as well. Gotcha. I mean, isn't that just what an iPhone is, right? An iPhone has GPS, it has Absolutely. touch screen, it has computers, it's got music, it's got, uh, it's, so it's a system of systems, really. It's and, a system and, of systems. And maybe we, so I'm just impressed by that because it used to be, mm-hmm. I have this one thing that does this one thing, right? Right. <laughs> right. And then I hook it to yep. another thing that does another thing and then they do the thing together. Well, well, right. well that's the beginnings of it, right? Right. right. That's yeah. very, yeah. very... Yeah. Uh, and so, at Raytheon Intelligence and Space, we actually are building a framework very similar to an iPhone to take data from space and different space vehicles and be able to put applications on a layer and be able to manipulate data and take the data from space that we are receiving mm-hmm. and de- deliver weather to deliver missile warning missile defense deliver uh, GPS coordinates the real question is how how good is the camera <laughs> how good is the camera I'll yeah. have to get back to you on that. actually in our environment no cameras are allowed okay wow yeah so here's here's something. You guys are known pretty much for, you know, drones, and that's everybody's, like Raytheon, the first thing that pops into your head, you know, pilotless vehicles, I mean, aircraft. What do you do in all this stuff that would touch people's lives that they don't even know? That's a every good morning, question. Yeah, every morning when you pick up your cell phone and you look at the weather, we have a, jo- a role in that. When you uh, turn on your map application and want to go to the grocery store and want to avoid traffic, we have a part in that that navigation and timing. Okay. Um, So, and we're we're making that blue dot on your screen more accurate because we are modernizing the GPS um, ground stations. All right. Wow. Okay. That's, listen, that's that's very um in, that you're you're very integral to a lot of people's daily lives. Then right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So wake up any morning. In ways again, in ways that people don't even imagine. Yeah, they're you know, not thinking about. Raytheon intelligence in space kind of showing up. 
Well, Sandy's been a delight to have you and to get such a deep representation in such an important company in this world that's taking us into the future and keeping us safe while we do so. So thanks for being a guest on Thank Star Talk. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. All right, Chuck, we're not done here. Okay. We've got uh, Kerry Cahoy coming up, who's going to tell us more about uh, what it is to make these satellites and what they do and why and what the future of it will be when Star Talk continues. From the James Webb Space Telescope to next-generation GPS ground control to global climate monitoring, Raytheon Intelligence in Space is engineering solutions that make our lives on Earth better, smarter, safer, and more connected. Everyday space is changing, and every day, Raytheon Intelligence in Space teams push the edges of discovery to help drive that change for customers around the world from the ground up. If you're enjoying this episode and want to learn more about how Raytheon Intelligence and Space is advancing space solutions, make sure to head over to www.raytheonintelligenceandspace.com. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. We're back. Star Talk, all about satellites. Who's launching them? Who's designing them? What are they doing? How many are there? Uh, do we need more? Do we need less? All of this is what this show is about. And for the next two segments, we're going to have someone where that is her life. 
Professor Kerry Cahoy. Kerry, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent, excellent. So you're Associate Professor of Aeronautics and Astronautics at MIT. For those who are not academic fluent, is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I also have more on your resume here, co-director of MIT's Small Satellite Center, okay? And you're a leader at MIT's Star Lab. That's a, one of those fancy acronyms, Space Telecommunications, Telecommunications, Astronomy, and Radiation Laboratory, Star Lab. And used to be a NASA research scientist. So you are the right person for these two segments for us to get into what's going on. So let me, ask, let me ask you this before we get into the when are you going to do something with your life? <laughs> you know, I, I, have these, I have these questions myself. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. first, tell us the difference between aeronautics and astronautics. So, one is about flying planes, and the other is about flying spacecraft. So, air and okay. space is the major difference. But if you're really into satellites, what do you care about aeronautics? How low do you want to fly? Oh, 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 mic drop. Oh, that. Somebody doing a rap battle right now. Dang. Wow, that's great, though. And where do you want to land? And what do you have to go through for entry, descent, and landing? They're connected. You have to go through one to get to the other. Okay, so so tell me about the Star Lab because the R stands for radiation in there too. Does. And pe- people are spooked by the word radiation, but you know, space, telecommunications, astronomy, and radiation. So what does the Star Lab do? So we test new technologies in space um, using small platforms like CubeSats or nano satellites, and we also support projects for um, government and industry partners to have larger missions like large space telescopes. We'll do some of the analyses. Um, that they need to make their missions happen or answer questions that they're having a hard time with or would like a new approach to or a problem they need to solve. Oh, so that acronym STAR, that's, it's a catch basin for everybody who needs you because you do all those different things. Yeah, there, there are some things that we specialize in a little bit more than others, but um, there's a lot of different disciplines that you need to be successful in space. And, and what about, you know what's missing here? And maybe you can repurpose the T in STAR. How about thermodynamics? It is a big challenge, from, yeah. Could you yeah. go from room temperature on Earth's surface to space cold, and then like you're facing the sun and then you're hot again? I mean, the, your stuff has to work in a wide mm. variety of temperatures. Do you have those testing centers as well? Those testing um, platforms? Yeah, yeah. One of the key tests for a satellite is to make sure that the heaters turn on when they're supposed to. Um, oh. So you have these chambers okay. where you try to get the temperatures low enough using um, liquid nitrogen, or if you have to get really cold, liquid helium or something like that, to get those temperatures cold and trigger your sensors to turn on heaters um, to keep your satellite alive. Mostly mostly the batteries need to stay happy. Batteries hate being cold. Wow. Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm. While they're operating, they hate to be cold. Because when I grew up, you kept batteries in the refrigerator. In the refrigerator, or, or remember the freezer, that. To, to, right. to preserve them. To preserve them. them. Uh, you know what I learned? I was up in Alaska. Um, and my wife is was raised in Alaska, and uh, there's friends and relatives still up there that we were run, using some flashlight, and the batteries went dead. And and one of the these like bear wrestling mountain you know persons per- persons. So I got this, and he takes the batteries out, and he 
rubs them in his hands, rolling them back and forth. Does this for about 90 seconds. We put the batteries back in the flashlight. It worked again. It was like magic. It was That's like <laughs> what, what, what Neil didn't know is he was an alien. <laughs> <laughs> he used an EMT to recharge exactly, them. Oh, yes, uh, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, wait, he didn't tell me that. But, uh, so so mm. why, why are satellites small? Because I remember in the day... Uh, in my day, satellites were at least as big as a person, uh, possibly the size of a car. Uh, why is why is what's the rush to make them all little? Well, I like satellites of any size, and and I started off like you're saying, um, satellites the size of a Greyhound bus, and they have little ladders that we crawl up to like work on the panels in there. Um, so some satellites have staircases and ladders, but. Um, <laughs> The the making them small helps because the idea is you can get more of them on orbit, and that right. helps you in, in a single launch. In, in a, a single launch, well, you know, I have mixed feelings about that because if you go on a single launch, you're stuck in a single orbit plane, and then you have this like string of satellites, and it doesn't get all the orbit planes you want. So you, I, I hate it when that. I happens, hate it when that know? happens. Yeah. Stuck, so Chuck, you have been stuck in the same <laughs> orbital plane. You, this is Let bad. me tell you, I, if I had a dime for every moment of sleep I've lost over single launch sat cubes, I would be. Ugh, I'd actually be very well refreshed. <laughs> so what's going on? Because you, we've seen, we've all seen these YouTube videos of the deployed hundreds satellites from a single mission, and they're all just lined up there like a train. Yep. Yeah. Well, one following another. And so, so you, you value different orbital uh, trajectories. I do. I business. like different orbit planes because then I don't have to wait for the same guys to sweep around the Earth and precess around. Then I have right. multiple of them that can cover different places at the same time or close to the same time. And I don't have to mm. wait for them to swing around. Did you ever consider using something, you know, Bill Nye some time ago, Neil, was on the show and did uh, the thing about the light sail because he was along with his organization was launching a light mm -hmm. sail. Oh yeah, that was that so was the planetary society. Thank so this you. Would the be, planetary this, society. This would be using light pressure with you deploy a huge sail, uh, a very highly reflective sail, and using the pressure from light to alter your orbit yep. to something new. So uh, now I guess you could also use fuel, but light sails you get to do that for free. So what what kind of what kind of what stuff goes on in your labs uh, in, along those lines? Um, so we we generally don't work too hard at um, maneuvering them. Although we we do have a, a a small satellite that's on space station right now that's about to be deployed. That's going to test a electrospray propulsion system on a CubeSat. Oh, um, cool! But for the most part, those systems are pretty intricate and but very necessary and. The smaller they are, um, especially some of the electrospace systems, they can't really move you very far sometimes. Or if they can, it takes a long time. So that's kind of the trade. Either um, you're small and you don't go very far, or it might take a long time for you to change your orbit parameters, or you need um, these big satellites, which most people think of satellites and they don't realize what's in the middle. But it's kind of like a Boston cream-filled donut where the center is just a fuel tank. Most satellites have this giant spherical fuel Whoa. tank in the middle of the big ones because they need to maneuver, mm -hmm. and then they just slap some boards around the outside with electronics on them. Um, <laughs> I never knew. Yeah. I never thought Look about at that. that. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. so it's so it's 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 crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. It's sloshy on the <laughs> sloshy. <laughs> sloshy on the inside. Yeah. 
and it, and what it kind of fuels it? Is it like hydrazine or? Yeah, there there there's of? monopropellants and hydrazine that they use. What what's hydrazine, please? Did we have to explain it to you, Chuck? Come on. Yes, you do. <laughs> Well, two, <laughs> two space professionals sitting here. So yeah, uh, what kind of propulsion are you using? Uh, yeah, uh, what is that? Uh, what do you got there? What is that? It's like is Chuck, that, uh, stay with it, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, is that the warp core there? Is that what you're Slow using? down for yeah. you. No, yeah. What's no. hydrazine? Though, it, really? It's what is um, it? a compound that's very reactive and volatile, and um, you reacts to heat. So you you basically combust it. And then you use the heat and pressure generated by it to create a force to move you. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And it's highly reliable. I mean, they used it throughout Apollo. Mm -hmm. um, gotcha. And it's it's it doesn't require weird ignition to make it. Uh, right. Uh, but they do make you uh, keep light. it in a bunker or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nasty stuff. It is nasty stuff if it does what you don't want it to do. But when it, I got it, you. but it's otherwise highly. Uh, reliable. Mm -hmm. So, do you focus on? Uh, so far, we've only talked about uh, the hardware. Do you focus on any broader scientific, agricultural, environmental goals as you think about your satellites? Yeah. So, so I, I, we do focus on um, enabling people to communicate. So, we do optical technology for laser communication to help people talk to each other from anywhere securely and safely. But using. Like optical lasers? <laughs> Using lasers. Yeah, but if the cloud in the way, then then that like, that is the problem. What good is yeah, that? Yeah, that's why. Whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. All right. That's why you, Carrie, you're you not, need the relay. You're not doing yourself. You're not doing yourself a very good service here, Carrie. <laughs> 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 Wait. You're just like uh, guys. I'd love to talk to you, but it's a little cloudy out. <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear, because radio waves move through clouds. Radios do. Visible light well, does not. They Correct. still get attenuated, and the shorter the wavelengths get, the worse the clouds treat them. Um, right. <laughs> but, um, but no, I got to tell Chuck why. Wait, Chuck, yeah. the shorter the wavelengths get, you get into microwaves, and right. and clouds are made of what? Va uh, water droplets. Water, water droplets. Okay, water right. vapor. And so, so water and microwaves have a very long not history that, together. That, yeah, not, yeah, and that's how you right. get microwave ovens. So, yeah. uh, the fact that you have that interaction enables microwave ovens. To begin with, so exactly. So you need a wavelength that passes over the water droplets, so that as though the water droplets aren't there. Okay, so go on. Yeah, so it needs cool. to be longer than that. But we we are working on making these terminals very small, and so you can put a lot of them up and relay the lasers around the weather systems, and also making ground stations that are small and portable, so you can have a bunch of them on the ground, so that you can receive the data that's been sent around the weather. So. Oh, okay, so basically, it's a, 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 an interconnected network, but you break it mm -hmm. up all over the place. That's cool. No, but wait a minute. So why can't it still go to a centralized network, and then you get it by cell phone carrier or something? You could. You, you could definitely treat it that way too. And why you gonna make me carry a whole big radio receiver dish with me where I go? Don't don't do that. Don't. Yeah, well, you know, some some people have security needs and don't want anybody oh, else oh, to look uh, at their data. Now it comes yeah, out. You know, I see. And it's not only the guys you think about. Some of it is these high frequency traders, and they don't want you to know about their data either. So right, right. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So, Carrie, are you thinking about the cost of these things? So a number I've always heard for NASA was $10,000 a pound to put something in low Earth orbit. Uh, uh, update me on that number for what it is you do. So CubeSats right now, um, if I were going to try to put a 10-pound CubeSat into orbit, would be about $200,000. 
So it's 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 within a factor of a couple, I think, of, of uh, uh, yeah. where you are. As we as we say in my world, it's within a factor of pie. Yeah. yeah. So how, how do we do it? <laughs> Volume. Uh, right. right. So so right now it's twenty thousand dollars a pound. What you're saying? Um, if I did the math correct. Yes, which is ten thousand a kilogram ish, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the same ballpark. Yeah. All right. So we haven't that that hasn't changed much over the years. Mm -hmm. So, but um, well, is, is that because of gas prices and inflation? <laughs> you know, is that what's going you know, that, on here? Gas prices, gas prices <laughs> inflation, just <laughs> screwing up everything, the, the, right? The big launch vehicle costs are coming down, though. It used to be well over $100 million, sometimes closer to $150, $200 million to launch a rocket. And with the reusability that um, companies like SpaceX are really making possible now, that cost is coming down significantly. Um, if you flew to Europe in a 747 and then they shoved it off the cliff and then brought out a new one every time, that it, that flight would be really costly to you. It would add up. So, yeah, because yeah. everybody's on yeah. payroll, right? So if I can launch five times instead of once, the total salary that everyone earned is the same, but I now got five satellites out of it instead of one. So all these things scale in ways that drop the price. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a really important point too. A lot of people don't realize that the cost of sending things to space is mostly the people time to put it together and run it. So it's a really good oh, point. Oh, interesting. Right, right, right. right. And let me let me just say, if you uh, if you have disposable seven forty sevens, you are a baller. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you take up a lot of room when you fly. All right. right. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Kerry, uh, rumor has it that you have some interest and care for exoplanets, and I want to get further into that. When we return, Star Talk, segment three, all about satellites. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code WELCOME. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. We're back. Star Talk, segment three, all about satellites. 
And I've got Kerry Cahoy here, who's a uh, on the faculty at MIT, and she's one of their uh, systems engineers uh, studying. Uh, should I call you a systems engineer, satellite engineer? That's what you. A little want, of both, right? A little of both. A little of both, or, okay. or a lot of a lot of both, probably. Actually, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm told that little birdie told me that you also have an interest in the detection of exoplanets, and we know that JWST is going to help. Uh, blow that open, but, but not so much detecting them as much as observing them mm-hmm. once we right. know they're there. So how do you plug into that turning wheel right now? Yeah, so JWST has some great tools for characterizing exoplanets on board, um, mostly by looking at exoplanets and their transits and different things like that in different colors and learning from the difference in the colors that are observed a little bit more about the properties of the atmosphere. Um, I'm interested in looking at star systems and seeing if there are planets around them and how many there are, and also characterizing their atmospheres by looking at the the colors and their relative strengths. And the technology you need to do that very effectively for Earth-like planets means that you have to meet have something on board the satellite that can block out the starlight in the middle so you can kind of see around it where you think the habitable planets would be. So this is the firefly and the searchlight problem. There, right? There is that analogy, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're trying to detect the firefly and you're looking at one of these Hollywood searchlights, it's going to be really hard, if not impossible, unless you figure out a way to blot out the searchlight. And so this is this is also one of your big challenges. Right. And I also can't assume that the firefly glows by itself. Okay. So it's even harder. <laughs> wow. Right, so right. I need to see the light yeah. that's bouncing off the firefly when it's not blinking. Um <laughs> to tell me more about it. So you this is you doing this in addition to your satellite work. See, I, I'm gonna repeat Chuck's earlier comment, you know. Really, this is all you've done in your life? Yeah. <laughs> Big slacker. Here's, here's, what, here's what I'm saying. Stop making us all look so bad. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes so many different types of people to make anything happen. And I'm, I'm right. glad to be in a place where there is such a variety of people with so many different talents to throw at these things because we need them all. MIT is geek central. So you've got, you're in arm's reach of anybody who knows anything that you need to know to, to, to make stuff happen, right? Yeah. I think of, like, MIT as, like, the Hogwarts of technology. <laughs> I want some okay. of those moving staircases, then. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> animated paintings, right, yes, right. yes. That's, that's to- totally what you want. So, so if you could take everything that you know, what is the one advancement that you would bring to satellite technology that would change everything? Mm. Mm. Do I have to only take Mm. one? I want two things. Um, I want um, the satellite equivalent of space Wi-Fi. Oh, snap. Nice. So that's one thing I want. And then I want the satellite equivalent of gas stations. Okay. Ooh, filling stations in orbit. On orbit. So those are are the two things I want. Okay, we need that for for space travel in general. Otherwise, you know, we're stuck with the rocket equation. We did a whole right. the Chuck. I think we did an explainer on the rocket equation. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and even Artemis, you know, is, is thirty five stories tall, and it's basically all fuel. All fuel. Right? Basically, right. you need the fuel to 
burn to carry the fuel that you haven't burned yet that you're going to burn to carry the fuel you haven't burned yet. So, right, if, if you have filling stations, that, that that's a game changer. Yep. But yeah, but 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 Carrie, you have to refill the filling stations. Yes. Yes, you do have to refill the filling okay. stations somehow as well. Well, this has become a bigger problem than uh, <laughs> than I thought. Even when you just <laughs> this just keeps getting so worse. We're, we're going to have to look at these asteroids and um, you know Lagrange points and try to figure out how to put stations on them and get to and from these things with enough fuel and and uh, you know very efficient systems and and or make sense make ways to um, use solar energy, if possible, for, for propulsion. Yeah, I was going to say, or, or come up with a different fuel, right? Yep. Well, it's still a fuel, I mean, you need a whole new thing. That's what I mean, but when I say different, I mean, really source of energy. I mean, <laughs> source of force energy. of energy. Thank you. Thank you. you. I'm, I'm, I said, uh, yeah, I was very inarticulate. Yeah, source yeah, of energy. Yeah, we don't need. We don't mean ethanol versus right. you know gasoline versus whatever. Right. We're, we're talking warp drives, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I really want to do there. <laughs> uh, so uh, we've we've mentioned this before, which I think many people don't know. Uh, engineering has two terminal degrees. One of them is the undergraduate degree. Plenty of working people with a terminal uh, undergraduate degree and a master's. You're back in a university as an engineer. Does that mean you got a PhD? It does. It does. I did get a PhD. Okay. I didn't know that I was uh, going to do that, honestly, until probably my senior year of undergrad. Wow, just, just won't stop with the humble brag. No, it's true. Just can't. Can't let it go, can we, Carrie? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I got a PhD. You know, I didn't even know I was going to do it. If I, I, was I woke happy, up, yeah, I woke up one day. Yeah, I woke up one day and they would telling you. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, I don't even know how this happened. I, I tripped going up the stairs and I would, well, there you have it, a Nobel Prize. How did that happen? How the hell did that even happen? <laughs> so I think, no, but here's the, the reason why there there's so few engineers with a PhD is because if you get a PhD and you work in a university, you get paid way less than you'd otherwise get paid in oh, industry. It's a big yeah. problem. <laughs> it's a it's an issue. This is an issue. It's a big problem. Freedom salary. Yeah. Freedom salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want do you want to you know you want to work for the man, as they say, or do you want to be you be your own boss and. Um, and as an academic, I mean, I, I cherish the academic life because I can say what I want and do what I want and go where I want. Um, so it's, but you need both, right? Because somebody's got to get the job done at the end of the day on budget, Very much on time so. for a customer. And, and the free thinkers are on another part of this. And uh, without the free thinkers, there wouldn't be anything for the businesses to to jump on. I mean, we need you guys. So, you know, I, I agree though that industry is very important and um, it's, you need people with those types of infrastructures and resources to make no, it happen. Yeah. Uh, with Raytheon, for example, they just recently, not, not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, bought a small satellite company called Blue Canyon that, you know, I built payloads and integrated payloads on and operated them on orbit. So you need, you need right. sometimes you want to take your nah, university I'm, project and your research and put it on something that someone's already built and send it up. Right. And who's got pockets deep enough to do interesting That's things right. with it, for sure. All right, guy, we got it. We got to end it here. Carrie's been a delight to chat with you, yeah, and it's so good great. to know that so you exist in this world, thinking about these problems uh, down on Earth that end up in space. And uh, maybe if you if you make some uh, if you invent some new kind of satellite, tell us first, and we'll get you. I will. I'm so grateful off. that you guys are here to help communicate these concepts and do such a good job of making it 
fun. So appreciate it very oh, much. Okay. Well, I think the universe is a hilarious place. That's why. And Chuck really, it is. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> All right. We're gonna we're gonna end it there. Uh, Chuck, always good to have you. Oh, wait, Carrie, do we find you on social media? You have a do you have a? I do have a, a Twitter, um, MIT Star Lab. Okay. Yeah. And cool. um, not not a personal Twitter so much, but my lab keeps me busy. Yeah, good. So we can keep, keep track of your lab there. Yeah, very good. Very good. And Chuck, you're still a Chuck Nice comic. We'll Thank find you, you, sir. We'll yes, find I you am. on your social media handles. All right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've been listening to, possibly even watching, Star Talk. As always, keep looking up. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.